Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You know, you get asked all the time. I read a lot of stuff, and I believe what I read, but there's nothing I'm telling you. I believe more than Milton's. Milton's has been with us since the start. I believe in Milton's 1,000%. I wear their clothes all the time. I'm actually wearing a pair of their shorts as we speak. And I'm going to bring Ken Laird and Mike Manansky there. I'm going to bring Ben Kincha there, my producer, as well at some point, to clean him up because you look like a slob. You need a Milton's makeover. Do I really? Hold you on. Wait a second. Compared yes. to the other producers? Well, I understand that, but I understand that. But I'm saying even, you know, you could, could you use a couple of nice shirts? Nice pair of shorts? I, I love the guy who in a baby blue T-shirt right now with nothing on. Well, this is not a Milton shirt. Is telling me, and I'm wearing that's nice what down. I'm saying. I'm not wearing a Milton shirt. That's the point. You, you look worse than up. me right now. Yeah, but when I wear Miltons, do I? No, no, I do not. I, I'll that's admit that. that's the whole point. You Milton's, look good. I, I'm surprised at how well you actually clean up. It's nice of you to say. We were at uh, Jerry and I were at Foxwoods. No, Jesus, I'm an idiot. Oh, he gets sun for the Johnny Damon thing a couple of weeks ago. Went kind of well, like only ours can. And uh, there was a a. Uh, Tommy Bahama store there, and there's a couple of great shirts there. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go to Milton's to get these. I know they're going to have them. If you're a guy my age, you want some nice stuff for golf this summer, knock yourself out. You get some nice shirts. You get some nice shorts. By the way, you want a couple of suits for a wedding? There's going to be 3 million weddings. Nobody wears the tuxes anymore. You go to Milton's to go to the suits. They take care of you. You can wear the suits again and again and again. You saw us at the White House. That's Milton's. You cannot go wrong with Milton's. They make guys like Ken Laird and Kirk Minahan and Chris Curtis presentable that's all that's really all you need to know they make chris curtis look presentable they should get some kind of congressional medal of honor for that they really should i mean you can't top that he he's a weird looking person he and, is and they make him and, look good and i told him he looked really good when he went down to the white house with you guys that's where you go you either go to south shore plaza or you go to chestnut hill in che- chestnut hill square chestnut hill there you go to milton's it is the store for men All right, first, enough about me in a couple of weeks. First one I've done in the studio in a few weeks, anyway, since the last one. Uh, this one is with Jason Wolf, my first program director, my, uh, the guy who brought me in, I guess, in a way. We talked about everything. Wolf, we had a long run of the EI. He's been there since the start. Talked about bring me in. We talked about the whole Salk experience. We talked about Glenn being fired. We talked about John and Jerry. We talked about Eddie Andelman. We talked about the history of EI. We talked about the future of EI with this merger, what that means. Kind of covered it all. Wolf did a good job. He was a little, he was, he was wolfy. He was a little, really smart, a little guarded, didn't quite give you everything, but I think we did a pretty good job. We're going to split this up into two parts, correct? Absolutely. It's a two-parter with your old boss as well, right? Yeah, he Wolfie was, was your boss. He was boss. the one who hired me here. There you go. He was my fifth program director, but he was the one yes. who hired me here. Yes, we've had two since. So Wolfie was here for program director for, what, 20 years? Whatever. Oh, yeah, I mean, he had an unbelievably long run. 17 or 18 years. <clears throat> yeah, and he started as a producer here for uh, Eddie way, way back in the day. So we get into everything. I think we split up into two parts, correct? Yep. So where do we end this part with? Don't know yet? I don't know where I'm going to split. Okay, but it's running today. It's running today. So this, is a, this is a tight ship it. we run here. All right, yeah. <laughs> we'll find a place to cut off somewhere. Oh, how long is it in total? In total, it's an hour and 15 minutes. Okay. And we actually taped it, by the way, I should say, in the actual studio itself, where we do the show. Yeah, I know. You start off talking about that. You're very impressed with <laughs> right. yourself, the fact so, that you started it's, it's off the, in there. It's the, I think it's our only one, right? It's the only one you've used that studio for. I think. Yeah. Everything else has either been in Studio K or Your Meter's Old Booth, right? Meter's Old Booth, which yes. smells like shit. It really does. And it's tiny and it's cramped. It's the worst. Okay, so Jason Wolf, like 
In stu- it's true. Jason Wolf in studio, a two-parter. You'll enjoy If you like inside radio stuff, you're going to enjoy this one. Jason Wolf, my old program director at WEI, is the guest on this week's Enough About Me. All right, we're here. We're doing this is the first podcast I've done in the actual WEI studio, the new studio. That I don't believe Jason Wolf has ever seen until right now. This new one, kind of new. One. I have not. We updated all the way to like 1986. We moved about. I missed the old uh, logos with uh, the Nesson logos on them. Oh Jesus, that's right. Yes, yeah. I don't, in a while. I don't, I don't know what happened to that. I don't know what happened with Nesson. I think you remember. That. You Something were there happened. for that. I don't know. You were there for that. I was there. So, so what's going on? Everything's good, Kirky. Yeah. Keep busy, rocking and rolling. Yeah. Living what, the dream. What is the, uh, when you listen to the state, first of all, do you listen to the sports radio a lot or no? Not as much as you might think. Well, I don't, I don't, I just I don't, don't think have, at all. I don't have as much time. Yeah. I think um, over the last couple of years, uh, it's trailed off a little bit. There are certain times of the year when I'm more into it than other times of the year, but for the most part... Uh, I consider myself a casual listener, and I yeah. go back and forth probably like most people, but it's not a, a daily routine for me. When, did you, when was your first day of employ at WEI? My first day was August 26th, 1991. And your role was? I was a producer. For? I was the first producer for the Dale Arnold Show, yes, which was aired the... from 10 to 1, yes. and the Glenn and Janet Show. I'm not going to sing that jingle, so don't ask. Okay, that's uh, they were on from Jan- uh, one Prinsky. to four. So you produce so, you, so two shows, six hours, correct? And that was so Dale Solo was what guests, lots of guests, lots of what was your role there? Yeah, well, Dale was a really good interviewer. I think he still is a good interviewer, but he, he liked guests. Yeah, um, the station in the old days was really built around guests. I remember, yeah, uh, you know, there was just not the same kind of passion for subject matter as there was for let's hear what x guest has to say so yeah, yeah. yeah i think the first show we produced uh we had six guests right <laughs> off the bat boom 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 six different subjects and think wow this is the greatest thing ever <laughs> right it wasn't so great but uh we learned and we figured it out it's weird yeah it's it's so strange how it's changed though from say then to now like i'm not even saying we i mean obviously i think what we're doing works but i'm not saying what's right and what's wrong but like Back then, you didn't really, it was still in its infancy. You didn't really know any better. You know what was working and what wasn't working, right? Yeah, we had absolutely no idea. I mean, honestly, we were sitting there saying from day to day, should we put this guest on because the Celtics are playing the Pacers at the Garden? Right. Or the Bruins are playing the Canadians at the Garden. Whatever it was, it was uh, catered to what was happening on that night as opposed to today where it's all about issues. Right. It's very issue-based, and people are, I think, far more passionate about those issues uh, than they might have been. I mean, Boston, as you know, has always been uh, an incredibly passionate sports city, one of the best, if not the best, in the country. Right. But when sports radio first started, I mean, you got to remember, the, the first sports station, WFAN, launched in 1987. There were right. only about 15 or 20 of them by the time EEI launched in 91. So yeah. I don't think anybody really had blueprint for what to do they just went instinctively and determined what was the best uh, decision from day to day what was the so so i knew those two shows was the morning show at that point when the station started was that andy mose or no um Doyle it, it was yeah it was uh, andy mose it was called the as yet untitled morning show right because they didn't know what to call it right so that's what they called it andy mose was the host and there were uh, there was a, a male co-host by the name of Rob Buttery and a female co-host by the name of Suzanne Lee. And I'm not 
not sure what happened to either one of them. But it was supposed to be a lifestyle, mix of lifestyle and sports, a little bit of news. Uh, never really got off the ground. I mean, Andy, as part of the old Joe and Andy family right. on what then was Mix 98.5, uh, was an excellent FM uh, morning show. Yeah. Had a lot of uh, big-name musicians that came in. Right other artists. Uh, he, he had a great following in Boston, um, but he wasn't really the right fit for what I think they wanted to do with that show. And it lasted maybe a year, a little more than that. And then the decision was made, we're just going to put a sports show in there. So that's where Doyle and Mustard came in. And Doyle obviously was the comedian and he didn't have right. uh, the institutional knowledge, but they could talk about the games and the teams and did a better job. Than you know, Jerry says this all the time when we talk about him. I feel like if Craig Mustard had wanted it bad enough, he could have been like a big Boston sports host, day in, day out host. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying or no? Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, I... he was one. He was actually the first sports host that EEI hired. Right. Uh, before it became an all sports station. Yeah. And two years earlier, uh, EEI was a news station. The people don't remember that. He has been in the sports format so long now that prior to that, it was a news station. BZ was not doing news. Right. He was doing all talk. Yeah, talk, yeah. Right. So um, when Mustard came in from New York, they put him on 7 to midnight, and he was in and around both the Bruins and the Celtics. I remember, yeah. Which uh, the station had the rights to both of those teams at that particular time. Right. So um, I think it took a while for people to get used to him because he was a, a New York fan. He had New York mannerisms, uh, but he was a very, very smart guy. And I think, uh, uh, to your point, if he if he really wanted to do more, he probably could have done more. I think he was comfortable doing what he was doing, and he had a, a pretty big role at that time. Do you think to be a big radio personality in a, a big market, you have to be a little, I don't want to say determined, but you have to be a little <laughs> off in some way? You, you almost have to be hyper-competitive and hyper-focused? Oh, no? no question. You have to have an edge. Yeah. You, there, there's a lot of guys that can talk sports and do it intelligently. Right. But there are very few that can do it and be entertaining and compel the audience to react. And I think those are a real select few, particularly yeah. now. Well, yeah, it seems like it's now – it's weird. There's more stations than ever. We were talking before we started. There's basically TV shows that are trying to be talk shows now. Comcast is trying to do it. But it does feel like there's fewer – talented people than there was 10 or 15 years ago. Maybe everybody always says that, but it does feel that way in a weird way. Well, it's hard to find the diamonds in the rough. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people, men and women, who can do the same thing. And you, know, you can just line them all up, pick one, and you're going to get what you're going to get. Right. It is what it is. Could, could, could Eddie Andelman be a success in today's, if he was 52 years old and still doing the same thing, would that work today? Uh, would That's he, a hard one. I mean, is he smart enough? To, is he was he smart enough to know that he would have to adjust and adjust properly? Yeah, I think he. I think he was smart relative to what the people wanted. Right. I mean, when he started, uh, it was all about uh, his personality with the two other guys. I mean, right. that old sports huddle show, for whatever people thought of it, was a classic oh, sports talk show. No question. I mean, terrific Jim? show. Definitely. Yeah, and they Definitely. were they were excellent together, and their chemistry played off each other. I think Eddie. Liked being the fan. He knew he wasn't a great broadcaster. He yeah. knew he wasn't uh, the most knowledgeable person. He loved to say silly things like, right. uh, the, you know, the hockey net should face the other way yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. But um, I think if he was doing it today, 
he would certainly be smart enough to, ha- to know that he would have to adjust. You know what hurt Eddie was the Internet. Because all of a sudden, yeah. people started looking up facts and saying, well, wait, that's not true. That's not true. It's, it was like a weird <laughs> adjustment period. But, so what was, your, what was your relationship with him before you were his program director? You were his producer. I right? was his producer. So we you had a great from, relationship. So you went from – so Glenn and Janet got axed, and they moved – Well, they – Janet they, – they decided that that wasn't going to work. Wasn't Janet left. Okay. So, there was uh, so Glenn so, did the show on his own. Right. So where were you – then when did you start producing Eddie's show? Uh, in 94. Okay. And 94, here, 95. And then obviously the only people I've worked with who have worked with Eddie are Dale, uh, Jerry, and John. So you must have some idea of where, what, you know, what they have told me about him. <laughs> it's prob- it might be different than what I you I think was. I have an idea of what John would tell you. Well, uh, Jerry and Dale, I think Dale had an uh, up-and-down relationship with him, right? It seems like Yeah, but Eddie, listen, Eddie would never admit it, but he liked working with Dale. Yeah. He appreciated the fact that they could go at each other, and it was real. Whose idea was that to put them together? You? No, that was Glenn's idea. Glenn's idea, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And they, the idea was to have a yin and a yang, to have a fan against a broadcaster, to right. have somebody who could play off each other, to have two people who could play off each other and not ever agree on anything. Uh, and I think Eddie was clearly the dominant personality when that show first started. But you remember, he was, he was still a major player in the marketplace when oh, it first started. Yeah, so, huge. And, and Dale had... Um, had done well to improve his profile and push his way up the ladder. And I think that, frankly, helped him evolve into a, a much better talk show host because he knew that he couldn't just sit back. He had to challenge the other guy, in this case, Eddie. And that led him to being able to challenge guests, challenge callers, challenge other hosts. I think he did well with it. When did you become the program director? In 1997, September. 1997, September. So the lineup then is... John and Jerry are not yet. No, nope, it was Imus in the morning. Still Imus, right? And the fabulous sports babe was on at ten. Oh, so John and Jerry weren't even ten to twelve yet. Correct. Okay, and then you have what? And um, at noon it was uh, Eddie and Dale. Yeah. And three to six was the big show. It was the big show? So the old big show. So me as a teenager or whatever driving around, like I knew that the fabulous sports babe on the EI made no sense. So I'm sure you knew the fabulous sports babe on the EI made no sense, right? Sure. So oh, why yeah. was she on the EI at the time? Just because it was cheap? It wasn't even cheap. It was free. Free, right. It, it was, was uh, yeah, I think at the time, um, the station didn't want to invest uh, in, a, in a live and local lineup. Right. Oh, I should say all local lineup. So you weren't and, local until noon. Right. In the old right. days, we weren't right. local until right. noon. So, right. yeah, it took about a year. And when I got named program director, one of the first things I said was, how long are we going to keep these syndicated shows? I mean, well, how, how was I doing sense. Well, for the when he first went on, yeah. he was incredible. It was a big deal. I remember that. It was yeah. a huge deal. His right. numbers were off the charts. Right. But more than that, he was probably responsible for 35 to 40% of the billing, billing on yeah. the station. Right. So there was no reason to think about moving him out. Right. Um, the, the fabulous sports babe, the, I mean, she's a great person. I always got along oh, with sure. her. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, but, more. you know, she's doing national sports in a local market, and it just didn't make a lot of sense. in this local market. Yeah, exactly, right. exactly. And she was a, I think she was a fan of the Boston teams, Yeah, but it, it just wasn't a good fit. So when John and Jerry, uh, John was just coming out of his deal with Channel 7. Yep. Jerry was co-hosting um, the big show, and he had some other uh, deals going on. We put that deal together for the two of them to do 10 to 12, and that was our first step towards right. ultimately uh, live and local lineups. So but, to answer your question yeah, about how Imus was doing, 
Once John and Jerry came on in the afternoon, I started to slide back to quite heavily. Yeah. Uh, 10 to 12, yeah, excuse yeah. me. It was originally uh, supposed to be Bart Cam and Jerry, right? Is that right? He was in the mix. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was originally thought of. Maybe you we think weren't he sure. Build a show around Jerry Callahan and get somebody else to work with him. You liked him so much no, in the big I, show I, that he stepped. Like he, you said, I want this guy to have a, a bigger role. I thought he could definitely handle doing a show of his own. Yeah, uh, I thought that sure Dino and Barkan were the two right. best candidates to match him with. I wanted a broadcaster with him. Mm-hmm. I wanted him to be able to be himself and not have to worry about the formatics of anything. Yeah. Um, Dino was my first choice, but I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to get him from Channel 7, so I had Barkan and Right. So when you got Dino and Jerry together, it took, you said, <clears throat> excuse me, what, about a year before they went in the mornings, or no? Uh, it was, uh, it started in in the fall of 97, and we moved <clears throat> them in the fall of 99. We did, we, I'll never forget this, we did a research project. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a real research project. We actually talked to five, six hundred people in the market. Right. And you get real information about what people think about your radio station. Yeah. And the number one thing that we noticed was that people started to forget when Imus was on the air. Really? So it wasn't even that they loved or hated him. He was now irrelevant. That's the worst. And that was the kiss of death for him. And then we knew it was time to make a move. And then, so then you had, so then that was kind of then at that point, you sort of had your line. There was John and Jerry. It was then Dale and Eddie. And then the right. big show, right? And that was sort right. of the lineup for, what, four or five years till Eddie left? Does that sound about right? Maybe a little less? Yeah, Eddie uh, was there from, well, we expanded the show. Remember, he was on from noon to three, and we made it 10 to two. Glenn right. was on from three to six. We made it two to six. Uh, they, they, Dale and Eddie and, and the old big show lasted mm-hmm. for, uh, or were together, I'd say, back-to-back for about four or five years, and then Eddie left. What was the biggest issue at that time in terms of handling egos? Who was it? Was it Dino? Was it Jerry? Was it Eddie? Was it Glenn? That's a lot of ego. I don't know that there was any one thing. I mean, you just you can't treat everybody the same. You've got to treat them who they are. You try to make decisions that were best for the station. I think the biggest – I said this even up until the day I left. Every decision I made, I wanted it to be made because I thought it was in the best interest of the radio station. If it wasn't, it just wasn't going to work. Well, my opinion. right, but I would say, and now we're going to jump forward before we jump back again, you would agree that toward the end you had to make, or you were involved in some decisions that you probably knew at the time weren't the best for the radio station, but you kind of had to make them to go along to get along. Is that fair? Well, I, I, I knew they were, they were very risky moves. I'm thinking yeah. of one in mind specifically, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Well, it was a terrible situation. Kevin didn't, Winter, yes. Didn't work it was out. a terrible thing. We, no, we he all, we he all should have been better. We all got through it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was, uh, there did you were, want Mike Salk to replace Glenn Norway? No, no. Did you say that in meetings? Sure. You did. So when did that start? So that happened. Glenn, Glenn left right about when I went in with John and Jerry within, I would say maybe within two weeks of each other, maybe a month, give Something or take, like that, I don't yeah. know, whatever it was. Well, to, look at, to understand the, the, the whole Salk thing, it's really not about Salk. It's more about Glenn. I agree. And well, yeah, but go ahead. I'm not sure. I well, agree, but go ahead. I'll, go ahead. Go ahead. You'll, you'll get it. Okay. So. In every talent gets to a point where one of two things are going to happen. They're either going to be so good that they're going to leave on their own to go to brighter pastures. Yeah. Or three things. They're going to get fired for doing something stupid or having lack of success. Sure. Or they're going to price themselves out. Okay. Where you get to a point where you just 
for the good of the rest of the station and the rest of the, the team, you just can't afford to make that kind of a move. So that's where we are with Glenn. So in 2007, mm-hmm. Glenn was already making a lot of money. Yeah. A lot. Mm-hmm. And I knew that CBS was going to go all sports. Right. I didn't know when. I thought it was going to be on 104.1 because everybody knew BCN was going to right. uh, fizzle out at some point. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had – and I love Glenn. I go back with him more than anybody. Right. But given what he was asking for, I had real questions as to whether or not we were going to be able to do it. This is 2007. 2007. Okay, go ahead. This was the spring of 2007. He yeah. signed in the fall. Okay. And at the time, um, I sent an, an email to corporate, mm-hmm. and I told him, uh, this is what I think you should do. And I put together my own proposal. This is what I would pay him if it was up to me. Right. And I thought it was very fair. It was still a huge increase from where he was, but it wasn't going to put the rest of the radio station and the lineup at risk because he wanted a seven-figure deal. Mm-hmm. And the, the company decided to give him the seven-figure deal. So it is what it is. Uh, but at that point, my job was we might not have this guy, either because he wants to leave on his own because he's not happy with our offer or – we're just not going to pay him. Yeah, right. So the guy that I identified to replace him was Felger. Mm-hmm. That's why I hired him to do as much filling as he did. That's why he was doing weekend shows. He was writing yeah, blogs. I was, I mean, was, I was, was working a, with him, yeah. There were a lot of things that, that he did. And I had numerous meetings with him, numerous. With Felger. Off-site. Yeah. Where I said, look, I honestly don't know whether we're going to be able to re-sign Glenn or not. And so if we don't, you're my guy. I want to put a deal together for you. And he was interested, but he didn't want to do anything until he knew for sure that we were moving on. So I made the, the um, proposal to corporate and said, look, this is what I think you should pay him. I don't think you have to do a nickel more than this because if he doesn't take it, we have a solid replacement right here and we're ready to go. Right. And I said, if you, if you do give him what he wants, I have – concerns about how that's going to affect us down the road. Maybe not initially, but... A couple of years down the line. It, who knows how long it could sure, take. As it turned out, it didn't take that long. But, yeah, that was, uh, that's how that whole situation came down. So the, the Salk thing is way after the fact, because if we had done the... I think Glenn would have accepted the deal yeah. at the end of the day because he knew what he had here. Right. He knew what was built around him. you got also got to remember, we were spending close to $300,000, maybe more than that, on people to surround him. So it wasn't just paying him seven figures. It was paying all these other people I would say, to be part of the show. And I will say, and I'll get back to it, but I would say it's something that Jerry and I have said. In a weird way, though, if, you, if I said to you, you're going to pay uh, Glenn and then two other hosts of the Big Show every day, you pay him each $150,000, you'd say that's a pretty good deal for those other two guys, right, for an afternoon drive time. If Glenn's making a million? Well, no, but no, I'm saying forget Glenn for a second. And just isolate those two guys. Like, that way you're, yeah, I would that, say that. Because like, that's, that's what I would say for the third guy with us. I mean, technically, you're saving money. Maybe. Uh, well, Maybe I mean, you but know. again, at, the, at, at that time, the station you know. was making right, a lot yeah, of money. Right, yeah, okay? right. It's not that they couldn't afford to pay people. Right. But eventually, you get to a situation where if you're loading all of your salary up on one show. Well, John and Jerry were making a lot of money, I'm sure. They were at the time, sure. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. But so, so fast forward. So, for, so you say it's not about Salk, but I will say this: like the first time I heard Salk, 
I was like, I know this is, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. I mean, you must have sat there. Like, were you involved in the decision-making process, or is that Jeff Brown saying, I want this guy? Like, how does Mike Salk arrive on the radar screen? Well, he wasn't my first choice. Let's why was I way. never discussed? Why weren't you ever discussed? Yeah. I don't remember. Looming star. It's, well, maybe today you are, but uh, I don't mistake. know. I mean, I, look, Apologies there were – so we, we move ahead now. Six years. Four years. Four years. I thought right? you said it was seven. Now we're going to 2013. Well, he started in what, 12? Who? Glenn? Salk. About 13. Right when 13. I did. Oh, okay. yeah. 13. Okay, so six years. Whatever. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, I've been gone, so I don't remember my dates as much as you do. I understand. Um, so, again, we're at a point where uh, – Glenn was making the big money, then they cut him down. Right. Everybody remembers that. Yep. Um, and so it's now we need to do something again. This is corporate's position was it's probably time to move on from Glenn. Right. I mean, we need to, we need to find a replacement. I mean, you would say Glenn and Holly just didn't, for some reason, just didn't click. They, they didn't click. It was okay. Yeah. It was okay. I mean, it was, okay. it was, well, I think some of it was. Um, a chemistry issue between the two of them, which I thought was kind of interesting because Holly had co-hosted on Glenn's old big show a many times. Yeah, yeah. And it's not that they didn't have a good rapport together and didn't know each other. Right. Um, but, you know, this is all combined, Kirk, with uh, Dale and Holly were doing really well right. in midday. And what's the point of breaking up a, a real good show like that? If you do it, you're going to wind up breaking up the other show because the reason it happened is because Holly wanted – a better contract, and the only way to give him a better contract was to move him to a more profitable day part. So now we're getting stuck again. We'll, but we'll get to Glenn in a second. So why then fire Dale though? Why yeah, not? It didn't, say- it didn't have to happen. It didn't have. So to you happen. didn't want to do that either. Well, I didn't want to make every decision based on money. Right. I right, thought right. that we were focusing too much on how much we were spending and not enough on what kind of content we were getting. Right. From the guys. I mean, Dale might not have liked it, but. I think if we had gone to him and said, hey, listen, we got a situation cut where you cut your pay to yeah. X. So that was never discussed. He wouldn't have been happy, but I think he would have taken it. Okay. Oh, so I didn't even know that. That was never talked about beforehand. So you just. No. We, okay. The decision was made to go find the best $60,000 a year guy you can. And that's right. what I did. Instead, you got mud. Yeah, that can Instead, I got sometimes. mud. Yeah, but, tragedy. No, but and look, I, I, I know this is going to come off in some way like uh, corporate came down with a hammer and you got to do all these things. There were a lot of conversations that were going on. And the other station was rising, yeah, clearly. Sure. And so there was pressure and there was a lot of discussion at the highest levels about right. what should or shouldn't be done. When you're sitting there writing those checks and you're seeing numbers come down, and you're seeing revenue go not only across the street but out of the building, you're well within your rights to sit everybody down and say, we're going to make some tough calls here. Sure, I get that. This is what we have to do. So we, we just made the wrong calls. Right. That's what it came down to. But. Uh, and I don't even want to keep getting back to this, but in terms of... Um, back to what? Salk. No, no, but, but my, my question is, who heard him and said, I want this guy to replace Glenn Orwain beyond in the afternoons of Boston? Well, who's, again, who's, I ulti- had... Whose call was that ultimately? I had to make the call that... I had to accept the fact, I should say, that Glenn was going to be moved. Yeah, right. Period. So go find somebody else. The first 25 guys I called, they just weren't available. What can I tell you? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, the, the guy that I really wanted was yeah. Ryan Russillo. Yeah. I thought that he had enough success in town. I had had a number of conversations with him about coming back. I thought he was, of all the ESPN radio guys, I thought he, his personality lent itself 
best to be included in a local lineup. He knew Holly from before. Uh, he had relationships with people in Boston from the time he was here. Yep. And I thought that he would have been a solid replacement. And frankly, I was looking forward to managing him on one end and Dino on the other. John, the other, that would have been, been kind of funny. We had Rosillo on the Super Bowl for like 20, 25 minutes. It was actually pretty, it was interesting. It was, a, it was, it was different. He has a different pace, but it was, yeah. it was, it was okay. It would have been, it would have been interesting. Uh, I think he had it in him, though. Maybe. To be more of the edgy, uh, in-your-face personality. Well, I think he was more that, like that when he was in Boston at fifteen ten than he is at ESPN now. Obviously, I think well, yeah, because right. ESPN has it; they want it a certain way. Okay, so that doesn't happen. So it didn't work out. Right. So uh, there were a number of other people that I listened to and looked at. Ultimately, Salk was in that group. We uh, didn't move quick enough to get Rosillo. We could have had him. Anybody else we know in that group? Um, no, probably not. No. It was just a, it was a tough call, you know. I, I ultimately understand why people are going to put that one on me because I did listen to him. I talked to him. I spent a lot of time with him. Right. I think that was one of the things that um, was most interesting about it for me is I probably interviewed him more than anybody I interviewed for that role, uh, and he, frankly, he did a good job selling me that he was going to be able to come in and do a solid job. But afternoons, under the cloud of everything that had gone on prior to that, it was pretty close to a no-win situation. And I was in a meeting uh, with corporate prior to this all coming up to the surface. And uh, I was asked point blank, if we make these moves, the two moves consecutively, Dale and Holly are going to get broken up, we're going to move this way, what's the percentage that's going to work? And I said, at best, it's going to be 50-50. Yeah. Probably less. Right. But that was good enough. Yeah, so they made the move. We're okay with it. How long did it take you to realize that this thing just was not going to work? Not very long. No. Um, I sat him down a lot in the first couple weeks, month, six weeks, and told him flat out, if, if you don't fight back against everything that's coming at you, the town will eat you up. Right. I know that's not what you thought this was going to be, but neither did we. Right. you got to figure it out as you go along. A lot of that uh, was me early on, too. Yeah, well, I mean, look, you guys didn't help him. You, right. you crushed him. Right. You, you frankly made sure that he didn't make it. Which helped me. It, it ultimately helped you, right. but uh, it didn't help me. No, I'm sorry about know, that. Because I'm sitting here with you now. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry uh, about that. But at the end of the day, um, I, if, if he had... I'm not going to say it. I was going to say, if he had stepped up and been a little bit tougher and not taken it so personally, yeah. he might have had a fighting chance. But I, I just think it was a bad fit. You know, it was there, there was too many negatives surrounding the whole thing at the time. And, um, you know, we were in a we were in a difficult position. The, the other station had taken basically two years, a little bit more than two years, and were almost on par from a ratings perspective, and then far surpassed us. That surprise you? The speed of that? And I mean, uh, it surprised me that they were um, that they grew past us so quickly. Uh, but I think part of that was the the frequency. It, they when they launched on that on that station, um, they were reaching a demographic that, frankly, was not familiar with. Yeah, I know, and I know and we do this, and people say, oh, but there is truth to it. And listen, they. They had great ratings and still do, but, you know, but, but try, the key try, try and listen to 850 right now. You can't. I mean, you, it's, yeah. it's like it, 1947. It's tough. It's tough. I, 
But I think the, the, the biggest thing that could have happened if everyone would have just taken a step back at that point is, look, this other station's going to launch. It's a fact, okay? Right. Now, who are they going to launch with? Their afternoon show is going to be two former EEI guys. Right. Half their midday show right. is EEI. The only pe- – the only – well, nights – Let's leave nights aside for a second because there's games on it. Oh, the only outlier or touch and rich. Correct. Right. Who had a miserable experience in Boston from a ratings perspective until they went on right. 98.5. So when you first saw because sort of the narrative is, you know, I remember reading that story in Boston Magazine by that guy Alan Siegel or whatever. There's a sort of narrative that EEI sort of said, oh, fuck, it doesn't matter. They're nobodies. You know, did you yeah, but the- that... That is absolutely not what was what right. Well, that's what I'm asking. That's not reality. My point was right. We need to be okay sharing the audience, right? Because because familiar with a lot of those it's, guys. It's okay. Right. The town is big enough for two. We can still run a great business. We we shouldn't worry about beating them by twelve points like we were when they first went on the air within the first month. Right. It there there was too many factors uh, uh, playing against us to be able to maintain that. And so then you fast forward to the two years later when EEI finally did move to FM. By then, you had a station that had already had a huge head start talking to new listeners. Mm-hmm. And so all those young people, even today, they are loyalists forever to sure. 98.5. Yeah. But that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. So let them have the younger group. EEI has the older group. I think it, it still could have worked out uh, to our benefit if we were playing on playing field so why'd you get fired i guess i took the bullets for all the decisions that were made i mean i made mistakes i'm not suggesting i didn't what's the biggest mistake Um, you made the biggest mistake i made was allowing i think everything to be um, determined based on how much money we salary you know it it didn't it should have been more about uh quality of the content that we were producing, which was still quality content. But look, every, um, every uh, group has to decide when it's time to move on. If the manager can't control the players or if the, the, if the manager has lost the clubhouse, so to speak, and I think they felt that I lost the clubhouse. Do you feel like you did? And, I mean, I was in that clubhouse. Yeah, I think end. to I mean, a certain degree. I, I like, think like I did what? with you guys, for sure. With me, John, and Jerry? Yeah. And to, like, what do you mean? Because you guys had your own understanding of what you thought was going to be best for the station. Right. I think I had different thoughts at that point. I certainly didn't want you to beat the living shit out of our new afternoon guy right. day in and day out. That right. wasn't doing me or him or him or me any favors. But it was what it was. And uh, a month before they let me go, uh, we were at a corporate meeting in Minneapolis. And I said as much that, look, we have tough personalities in the morning. They are headstrong about certain decisions that have been made. Sometimes I get them to listen to me, and sometimes I don't. Right. That's just a fact. Now, I don't, I'm not going to say whether or not that contributed to uh, the decision that they made. Um, you know, you'd have to ask them what the real reason was. But I'll, I'll say this to you. The year after I left, mm-hmm. I was at the NAB convention in uh, Indianapolis, and I bumped into uh, Pat Paxton, who's the current president of programming, great guy, good broadcaster. One of my favorites, he and, yeah. He and I have um, had always had a great relationship uh, when I was here. And he said to me that sometimes decisions are made that you don't want to make. But 
it was a tough decision. And I said, okay, uh, it's been a year. I'm moving on. I'm on to other things. And I appreciate you saying it, but, uh, uh, but it is what it is. And I never held um, – I mean, I was disappointed for sure, but I was not angry. I'm not bitter. I didn't have any um, preconceived notions about things I was going to do or say. I mean, this company treated me exceptionally well, and uh, I, I have no qualms about um, – about how they treated me at the end, except the fact that I was hoping to get more time to try to revive us, to fix it. And I didn't. All right. Thanks again for listening to the Enough About Me podcast. Actually, you know what? I'm really not thankful at all. You should be thanking me. You get this shit every week, these great podcasts, totally free. Do me a favor. Would you go to iTunes, download it, go to Stitcher, do the same, and leave a rating, leave a review. That's where you can help me out. This podcast is going to be number one again. I guarantee it. And you're going to help me along with the process. So for that, I guess at the end, maybe I will thank you. There's a lot of thank yous going back and forth. Here's the point. Fuck you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.